guys. Welcome to the Katie Halper Show. Now, I'm doing something I don't normally do, which is I'm adding a very last-minute update to our episode. Make sure you listen to the whole episode because we speak to Owen Higgins, the journalist who put the idea of the general strike into the ether. After this discussion, he kind of evolved his position on what the general strike would look like and also when it would be. So make sure you listen. And you can tell from the interview, during the interview, you'll see that he's a very thoughtful guy and very reflective person. So it totally makes sense that he would come up with something a little bit modified. So make sure you listen to this discussion. You actually kind of see him work through some of the ideas. And then I will read you his latest piece because we couldn't get him back onto the show because um, he, he was at work. But for now, I read his latest piece where he, he modifies his argument for General Strike. Hi guys, welcome to the Katie Halper Show. On this episode, Gabe and I start off talking about Trump's Nazi signaling Holocaust Memorial Day statement. And we are joined by Arun Gupta, a journalist whose work you can find at The Guardian and Washington Post. Then we speak to Owen Higgins, an independent journalist from Western Massachusetts and frequent contributor to Pace Magazine, about his viral post suggesting it's time for a general strike. Then we add Natasha Leonard, a writer for places like The Nation and The New York Times, into the mix for a very exciting debate on the general strike. Then you're definitely going to want to join our Patreon so you can hear the bonus content we're offering from this week, which is another debate between Natasha and Arun about Nazi punching, black bloc tactics, and the role of violence in the protest movement. So for that, go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, and you can access that. You'll get to also access other great bonus content gems, including our recent discussion with journalist Ben Adler on how the Dems should be doing everything in their power to obstruct Trump. I guess we should hope that some Democratic politicians uh, actually become Patreon subscribers to the Katie Helper Show, because it sounds like they really would uh, benefit from hearing that one. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, I'm here with uh, my main my main co-host, Gabe Pacheco. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm in the building. I'm present. Yes. It's yes. always a pleasure to be here, Katie. It is always a pleasure to have you here. And uh, we have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking to Owen Higgins, who has a really provocative piece about why we should go on general strike and how it won't be a moment too soon if we do it in February. Then we're going to be talking to Natasha Leonard and Arun Gupta. And guys, really exciting announcement. We are having, of course, if it's, a, if it's a Wednesday, if it's a second Wednesday of the month, that means we're having the Katie Halper Show live taping in front of an audience at the Brooklyn Commons. So the next one is February 8th, uh, Wednesday, February 8th at 7 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons. And our guests, are going to be, our guests are going to be Sarah Jaffe, the journalist and author of Necessary Trouble, and Nalini Stamp of... Working Families Working Families Party and also Resist Tuesdays. So you're definitely going to want to come out for that. And, of course, as usual, we will have um, karaoke because you can't have a revolution without karaoke. So, Gabe, how are you doing? You want to talk about anything? I mean, th- this, week, this week has been crazy. It's been crazy, right? It's, it's so hard to pick a topic. There's so many... So many things to uh, that are out in the air right now. We've got what a, a refugee ban going on, right? Um, I I did not go to the protests uh, at JFK at Terminal Four. Were you there? Yeah, I was a little late because I got pizza during it. Okay, how'd you get there? Did you take an Uber? No. <laughs> you know what? I have to say that I stopped taking Ubers long before this thing happened because they're like rape friendly or something. So I they're never pro, signed up they're for pro that. Rape? They're pro rape. Yeah. Okay. So I you heard uh, it here first on the Katie Halper yes, show. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And um, I actually went to the Howard Beach air train terminal to try to get in the air train, and it was blocked. In fact, I can play some audio from that. And then they finally allowed us to go through. And at that point, I was really hungry, so I had to get some pizza. Right. Did you get pizza in the airport? No, this was before we went to the airport. It okay. was right after they opened the air train thing. And I'm like, okay, now we're safe. We can go get some pizza. I got a slice. Then we went on the air train, got to JFK. It was basically over, but we just, you know, we, we talked to people, got some footage, did some Facebook Live stuff, which you guys can find on my Facebook page. I made it public. And uh, yeah, you know what my favorite thing from the week is, by what, the way? What's your favorite thing? The White House statement on Holocaust Remembrance Day. Did you hear about this? So you, why don't you break it down? All right, I'm going to break it down. Now, this is a little weird for me to be talking about this. Why is that? So I'm one of those Jews who doesn't like when Jews are kind of like possessive and chauvinist about their Jewishness. And I also don't like when they only talk about Jews in the Holocaust. And I'm constantly like fighting against claims of anti-Semitism that I actually think are just wait, attempts to stifle 
legit valid criticism of Israel. And I think that U.S. politicians are way too pro, quote unquote, pro Israel, and they're way too uh, courting of of certain mainstream uh, right wingish Jewish organizations and lobbies like APAC, right? But it's really weird. And I do not compare what's happening to Jews at all because nothing's happening to Jews, nothing at all. I just think it's interesting and symbolic that the Trump administration released a statement on Holocaust Remembrance Day that didn't mention Jews or anti-Semitism. Of course, this was beautiful because it was Holocaust Memorial Day that Trump chose to sign his executive order banning refugees from certain Muslim countries, right? Yes. Of course, not Saudi Arabia. But So this is what the statement said. It is with a heavy heart and somber mind that we remember and honor the victims, survivors, heroes of the Holocaust. It is impossible to fully fathom the depravity and horror inflicted on innocent people by Nazi terror. Yet we know that in, in the darkest hours of humanity, light shines the brightest. As we remember those who died, we are deeply grateful to, to those who risked their lives to save the innocent. In the name of the perished, I pledge to do everything in my power throughout my presidency and my life to ensure that the forces of evil never again defeat the powers of good. Together, we will make love and tolerance prevalent throughout the world. First of all, I like the way he says, together, we will make love. Yes. If you don't finish that sentence. Now, some people notice that unlike past statements released by presidents like President Bush and Obama, this did not mention this mentioned neither Jews nor anti-Semitism. Yes. And I'm going to say something. It may be controversial. I kind of think that when you're talking about the Holocaust, anti-Semitism is relevant and the Jews are relevant. Now, I don't think that you should exclude other groups. Like the gypsies? Exactly, right? Or uh, some Catholics? Some Catholics Jehovah's here and there. Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses. The gays? Yeah. Um, twins? They didn't like twins? Well, they would experiment on them. Uh, and you know what? We're going to bring in Arun because Arun has some stuff to say. Well, I just want to point out that the defense of not including the Jews was then Holocaust denial. Essentially, that's what they engaged in, was, right. was that there was nothing special about any one group. Right. This is the funniest thing ever, okay? This is hilarious to me. Basically, the Trump administration tried to play the woke card. This isn't the first time they've done this, right? They actually pretended that the reason that they left them out is because they didn't want to prioritize any groups over any other groups, right? And this is what Sean Spicer said, because uh, people were, were upset with Donald Trump. To suggest that, that remembering the Holocaust and acknowledging all of the people, Jewish, gypsies, priests, disabled, gays, and lesbians, I mean... But not the communists. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the mentally disabled, too. Yes. Is, is Frank, I, I, it is pathetic that people are picking on a statement that sought to remember this tragic event that occurred and the people who died in it. It's just ridiculous. Just pro tip for these woke people who want to be intersectional about the way they commemorate the Holocaust. Here's how you include various groups who were persecuted by Hitler. You don't not name any of them. You name all of them. I tweeted about this and I said how weird it was for me to be saying you really should mention the Jews and anti-Semitism. Because, again, I'm always the person who's like, stop claiming, stop overusing the word anti-Semitism. Right. And also just always saying, like, you know, never again doesn't just apply to Jews. It needs to be a universalist uh, concept. And of course, there are two. There are different strands of Jewishness. There's the kind of reactionary APAC, Israel, quote unquote, Israel first people who are Peps, right? Progressive, except on Palestine. So they're liberal on other issues, except on Israel. It almost sounds Palestine. like Pepe's. You're oh my god, nice call. But then there's also a social justicey tikkun olam, which means repair the world, and comes from some religious text. I don't even know what. Uh, Bernie Sanders style Jew, right? And that's my Jewish style. So the summer camp that I go to, for example, is a secular Jewish summer camp. And I went there and I made a documentary about it called Kami Camp, which I think I may rebrand as resistance camp. What do we think? Could be good, right? And what we do is not only do we commemorate the Holocaust, but we also commemorate Hiroshima Day. But when we do commemorate the Holocaust at my summer camp, we talk about the gypsies or the Roma as, as they are called by PC people, though I don't think they themselves call themselves that, the disabled, mm -hmm. the trade unionists, socialists, communists, and et cetera, et cetera. And here's some audio from Camp Kinderland's Holocaust commemoration. The fifth flight is for the non-Jewish victims of Nazi crimes, communists, socialists, trade unionists, homosexuals, the disabled, gypsies, and dissenters of all types were murdered by the Nazis. We remember them tonight. So hope. Hicks, 
who's the administration spokeswoman, she also said, despite what the media reports, we, as in the Trump administration, are an incredibly inclusive group, and we took into account all of those who suffered. I think of the Trump administration as super inclusive, super woke, super diverse. It feels like a Benetton billboard every time I see photos of them. But except the colors range from like um, creamy ivory to translucent white. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Some some are like ruddy, ruddy like a, like a ruddy, exactly a ruddy ban- tint. Bannon face, Bannon face. Right now, Trump is so inept and incompetent that part of me thinks that they dropped the ball on this, but I don't think so. I think this was Nazi signaling. It comes from Steve Bannon, who is very alt rightish, as we know, and I think this is Nazi signaling and a way to appeal to neo Nazis and and white supremacists and the alt right. And of course, the KKK, as we all know, endorsed Trump. And it took Trump like a couple of months to to distance himself from that and, and like come down on David Duke because he was kind of bi-curious about David Duke. He didn't know where he came down on that issue. I don't know anything about David Duke, okay? I don't know anything about what you're even talking about with uh, white supremacy or white supremacists. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Did, did he endorse me or what's going on? Because, you know, I know nothing about David Duke. I know nothing about white supremacists. Could we, could we take a, a, a quick ride in the Wayback Machine? Yes. In 1985, uh, Ronald Reagan visited uh, Bitburg Cemetery in Germany, and this was a huge controversy at the, the time because uh, I, he went there to lay a wreath and, and give a speech, and there were 2,000 uh, Nazi soldiers uh, uh, buried there. And I'm Ooh. quoting directly from the speech that there's nothing wrong with, or he, he, his defense, nothing wrong that visiting that cemetery where those young men are victims of Nazism also they were victims just as surely as the victims in the concentration camps uncle ronnie okay that is hilarious and this is because again these people are like all of a sudden they're really woke and structural their analysis is super structural and systemic like they sound a lot more like we do than than usual not that we like to celebrate commemorate nazis but you know like the the argument about the holocaust not being a, a just based on you know like Weimar, the Weimar Republic made people that much more susceptible, not not through their mistakes, but the context of of inflation and stagnation, which we call stagflation, by the way. And um, the, sounds like a good party. It does, right? And um, the you know humiliation of the Treaty of Versailles, right? And this is actually an argument that comes up now with liberals who deny any impact um, of economic hardship on people's susceptibility towards bigotry. I mean, that's like one of the most annoying arguments. But another weird thing for me is that um, all these Jewish organizations that I usually disagree with, like the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, even the rabbi who spoke at Trump's inauguration, you know, these right-wing Jews or right-wingish Jews, they were upset about this. But you know who wasn't upset about this statement? The Republican Jewish Coalition, which is heavily funded by Sheldon Adelson. They criticize people for politicizing Holocaust Memorial Day, which is pretty funny because I'm pretty sure it's politicizing it to say that not mentioning Jews is is okay. And the RJC is, of course, the organization that it was really funny. They Trump spoke there and he was basically like playing on a lot of Jewish stereotypes. At least they were flattering. He's like, I'm a good negotiator. I think there's some good negotiators in the room. Am I right? There's some, there's some good negotiators in the room. Deal. Look, I'm a negotiator like you folks. We're negotiators. Do you want to renegotiate deals? We, some of us renegotiate deals. I would say about 99.9. Is there anybody that doesn't renegotiate deals in this room? This room negotiates. I want to renegotiate this room. Perhaps more than any room I've ever spoken to. Maybe more. It's okay. I've, I've been called on that a couple of times, too. Ay ay ay. Oh. That's just good crowd work. That's good crowd work, right? And he is Jewish. It's neat just it's cuz he was raised in New York. I yeah. feel like everybody here is like a percentage Jewish. Yeah, it's true, yeah. He is very Jewish actually cuz he's like you're not going to vote for me. It's okay, I get it. You're not going to vote for me. Like the passive aggressive Jewish mom. You're not going to support me even though you know I'm the best thing that could ever happen to Israel. And I I will be that. And the re- I know why you're not going to support me. And you know, you're not going to support me because I don't want your money. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> No, it's true. You know, if I wanted your money, I think I'd have a damn good chance. And I think I'd get more money than anybody else. That's why you don't want to give me money, okay? But that's okay. You want to control your own politician. That's fine. Good. Don't worry about it. I don't think Alan Dershowitz released a statement, but Alan Dershowitz, who calls everyone an anti-Semite, didn't want to call Steve Bannon an anti-Semite. Is he personally an anti-Semite? I've no, heard no evidence to support that. He has hired Joel Pollack, 
who worked with him for four years, who's an Orthodox Jew, who wears a kippah, who's married to, uh, 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 has a mixed race marriage. Um, he uh, has been very positive toward Jews and toward uh, Israel. Because he thinks that you shouldn't throw that word around, which is really funny. I just don't think you should toss that phrase around. The reason I think this is significant, by the way, is it's really not in the scheme of things at all. I just think it represents a major shift and break because Trump ran on Muslim banning and Mexico wall building. He didn't run as much overtly on this stuff. Like, I think Jews who are only angry about Jewish stuff suck, like the ADL, but at least they're angry about this. The we are Shonda for the Goyim, shames for, for non-Jews, if you will, in Yiddish, are the Jews who are okay with this somehow. And they are the modern day capos. There, I said it. Well, it's like the, it, it just feels like they didn't, uh, we all had to read that poem when uh, we were in elementary the, school, yeah, the, yeah. I'm like, uh, why? Why did I read that? What's the point? Right. If uh, right. who's not who's not who hasn't taken this exactly. lesson in yet? Right. It's funny because I guess Trump has, but like the ADL hasn't, which is pretty funny. Well, there's even even a more difficult part of the conversation here, which is that uh, uh, the Israel, the Zionist leaders, have uh, always cozied up to anti-Semites historically and, right. and that they, they actually look for that uh, because it, it helps to uh, legitimate uh, Israel as the homeland of, of the Jewish people. Right. And and so they, they uh, were, you know, friendly with Bolivia, South Africa, Taiwan, Guatemala, you know, uh, all these other uh, um, different uh, c countries in the Middle East, certainly like right. uh, Saudi Arabia, they've right. always been friendly with. And then so, the Christian Zionists now, yeah, right? Yeah. Who yeah, want uh, yeah. Jews, uh, us to go back um, and like hundreds of us will be saved, but all of us will perish. Yeah. So are you saying that they want to create conditions in other countries that are um, that uh, that push the Jewish populations in those countries to go back to Israel? Oh, it's even worse than that. In, in the 1950s, uh, uh, the Israeli state engaged in a series of uh, bombings in uh, Baghdad, uh, in the Jewish quarter. Um, there were 100,000 100, uh, uh, Iraqi Jews, and uh, within a decade, it was down to 5,000. Like, they were de deliberately uh, bombing, and they killed some uh, Jews to create this stampede uh, to Israel. Come back into the fold is what they're doing. Well, that that they needed this this influx, you know, and and you know before sixty seven, actually, American Jewry on the whole was a uh, the majority was opposed to the state of Israel because it undermined their presence because, you know, American Jews were very secular for right. the most part. You didn't have, the, you know, these massive Hasidic and conservative populations. And so they did, they, it undermined uh, their sense that they were Americans. And and so there was right. a lot of opposition. After, but after 67 war, that kind of became this theological historical break, the retaking of, of Jerusalem. And that's where you see American Jews really. Uh, All I'm going to say is I would love to go to Jared Kushner's Passover Seder this year and watch the sparks fly between him and Donald Trump. Anyway, so um, we are really excited to speak to our our guests, our, one of our very special guests, Owen Higgins. Owen Higgins is a journalist from Western Massachusetts, and you can find his work at owenhiggins.com or at Pace Magazine, where I write occasionally as well. And um, Owen has a great piece that has been getting a lot of attention, and the title of it is, It's Time for a General Strike. And he wrote this on his website. And um, I'm just going to read some of it because it's very short and to the point. But Owen, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so here's what, what Owen says. In one week, the Donald Trump and Mike Pence administration completely destabilized the nation and the world. The president used executive orders that it's unclear he even understands to deregulate industry, expand executive power, and most recently ban immigration to the U.S. from seven Muslim-majority countries. That last move sparked outrage across the country and the world on and the world on Saturday, particularly at New York City's JFK Airport. A protest at the Queens County Airport grew quickly. By 5 p.m., the New York City Taxi Workers Alliance announced a one-hour shutdown for pickups in solidarity. With similar protests erupting across the country, the time for a general strike has never been better. And Owen tweeted that, and he tweeted, if the JFK protests can grow this quickly and get the taxi unions behind it, a general strike shouldn't be hard. Then Owen continues in this piece, David Cleon makes the case better than I can. Uh, David Cleon, friend of the show, uh, hasn't been on yet, but we've got to get him on, says, people are going to start dying. This is an existential moment. Shut America down until he's gone. It's all we've got. 
kill the markets, make the Chamber of Commerce come for Speaker Ryan and Senate Majority Leader's heads. Nothing else matters to them. Yeah. Okay. Then um, Owen goes on. The U.S. economy has an has an annual GDP of eighteen point five six trillion dollars. That works out to a little over fifty billion dollars a day. If we use a rough estimate of ten percent profit on that daily GDP, that's a loss of five billion dollars every day. One day of that would shake the global economy to its core. If the people of the U.S. promise to continue it until Trump and Pence are gone, it wouldn't even take 36 hours to get a new and responsive government. And if the new government doesn't respond, we'll do it again. The time is now. And then Owen updated his blog post or his piece by saying the ACLU want to stay of the executive order at 8.50 p.m. This would have been impossible without widespread protests showing up works. One battle down. So... Owen, can you talk about uh, if you still stand by this uh, argument and this call for general strike and when you want it to happen and also what kind of responses you've been getting? Yeah. Um, well, I would say I would say this is definitely a blog post. Um, oh, this okay. was, not a piece. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't uh, don't feel like you'd be downplaying it. I mean, that's it. You know, I just wrote it really quickly. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I you know, I I, I think. I've gotten a lot of really interesting responses to this. I've had a lot of really interesting discussions with a lot of people on social media since I wrote this. Um, and I would say that the most constant critique that I get, well, yeah, the most constant critique that I get for it is, you know, this is unworkable. You need time to prepare. Um, you know, what, what about people's families? What about, you know, taking care of people like a general strike can't end until you get what you want. Um, and I understand all that. I, I totally do. Uh, people have also said that, you know, that they think that what I'm calling for is a massive work stoppage as a protest instead of a general strike. That's fine, too. What's um, the difference, by the way? Well, I think that the general like a general work stoppage is just a work stoppage. A, a, a strike um, is something that's a lot more coordinated and organized. And I think that what I'm probably calling for is probably the former. Um for people just to stop engaging in the national economy. And I know that that there's a lot, you know, yes, yeah, so there's a lot of valid criticism about that position, mostly from people talking about lack of preparation. But I really feel that a lot of that criticism, not all of it, is based in an understanding of a labor movement that has been crippled for decades, a union movement that really doesn't exist the way that it used to exist. And I think that it also, I, it's, it's, it's playing by rules that I just don't think still exist. So um, my response to those criticisms is that, um, well, first of all, first of all, I should say that whatever people decide to do, whatever action people decide to do, I'm 100% behind it. I mean, this is just my opinion. I'm, I'm, "Quote unquote," calling for that, but but this is just my commentary. It's just an idea. I'm not trying to gather people around me in some kind of a movement. I'm just I'm I'm just opining here, but just spitballing here, putting it out I'm, there. I'm spitballing, yeah. just spitballing. <laughs> right. um, I, I wrote a piece last night saying that the general strike should just be moved up to February 6th, which is next Monday, the Monday after the Super Bowl, which in retrospect was probably you know like not. Not the most well thought out piece. I mean, I wrote it like two in the morning. I was half asleep. And where was uh, that? Where did it appear? It, it's at, it's on my website, okay. com as well. Um, people want to take that Monday off, though, anyway. You true, know? True. Half, well, half the people, their team didn't win. Everyone, if people know they've got a strike, they get to indulge a little bit more, a little bit of extra guac on everything. Mm. <laughs> a lot of children would be, a lot of kids would be born in uh, what, November? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah, you wake up on Monday and you're like, we're not going to work. What are we going to do instead? Mm. S make sweet, sweet love. <laughs> yeah, you forget about the desperation of the Trump, Trump regime for like a little while anyway. Right, exactly. Um, but and I, anyway, I wrote this in response to um, some calls I had seen to have the general strike on February 17th, which is the Friday before um, the President's Day weekend. And, and I have a couple of objections to that, and I'm just going to read three of them from my post, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so February 17th is a Friday before a holiday weekend that will kill any momentum going forward. 
If the strike were on a Monday, it could potentially continue on through the through the week and gather strength. This gives more power to the people. That's number one. Two, February 17th is two and a half weeks away. That's time for the Trump administration to develop countermeasures and shutdowns. It's time for businesses to prepare for the effect. It's time that we'll allow the powers that be to propagandize against it. And they don't deserve that time. And again, I, I go back to the Monday thing saying Monday will allow all of the energy from the weekend of protesting, which, which would be this weekend coming, which sounds like it's going to be another big one. And that would allow all that energy to be focused and continue into the beginning of the week. And then maybe beyond that. Hell yeah. As I've been discussing this with people, um, I've kind of expanded that a little bit to say that I really believe that a, a general strike or a general work stoppage mass protest movement could really, really work if we just centered it on one thing, which is that Trump has to step down. I'm not talking about impeachment. I'm talking he has to step down as a result of public pressure. And the reason that he has to do that in order for this movement to work is because if this movement forces Trump, the president of the United States, to step down from his position, which may be a pipe dream or not, and we can, we can discuss that if you guys want, but if, if that worked, if that happened, that would create a, it would, it, it would create a moment in the popular culture that I don't think that this country has ever had before and I don't think that that moment would ever go away and the people would seriously be involved in moving their government forward and, 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 and pushing their government to be more reactive to their, uh, to their needs and desires. And, and I really think that no matter what happens with this, no matter what happens with the protest movement, it needs to be as narrowly focused as possible because Occupy was great. It was great to go down to Zuccotti Park, but it just, it, it was just, it was too all over the place. There were too many different things that they were asking for. There was too much disparate message. Um, this is a, and, and this is. So you're saying, like, what is our one demand? Right, exactly. And this is not only that, I mean, this is a really pivotal moment in, in world history that no matter how this plays out is going to have reverberations for at least decades, if not centuries. And I, I don't know if it's reasonable to expect people to have another couple weeks or say if we did it on May Day, like a couple of months of this, of this Trump thing, like this is, this is really, really bad. And people have been talking about how the union movement needs to be behind it. And they had kind of convinced me that maybe calling for something this quick or calling for any kind of massive action like this, this quickly was a mistake. But I just saw on Fox News Politics, and this is actually from yesterday, that, Republic, that the GOP is introducing national right-to-work legislation, which will completely kill mm -hmm. the union movement. So any possible chance for any kind of a labor power movement in this country, we need to move quickly and, and as strongly as possible. And I think that having a mass protest movement like this and having it have success, because I really don't think that there's any other way, because I don't think that Trump is going to make it through four years in office anyway, and we need to be able to frame that as part of part of the people's resistance to it, instead of allowing politicians to to say that it was them. But I, I really feel like that it, it, it needs to happen as soon as possible. And, and it, I mean, if that means waiting until May 1st, like that's totally fine. Like I'll, I'll get on board with that, too. But I'm really trying to make the case that that this needs to happen as soon as possible. Great. Now, you know, I think this is actually pretty a pretty ideal uh, crowd that we have in the room because I think Natasha Leonard and uh, Rune Gupta are both well positioned to talk about this with you. So is that okay that we have like a, a powwow about this? Yeah, I'd love that. A, res yeah, a respectful powwow, guys. Uh, let's see. I just want to introduce our guests. Natasha Leonard is a, a British-born, Brooklyn-based writer of news and political analysis focusing on how power functions and how it is challenged. She writes regularly for The Intercept and Fusion and it's the New York Times. Opinion bits. Opinion bits here and there. And Arun Gupta. I'm is... also British born, by the way. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea. I was born in London. Wow, look at that. So. Arun Gupta is a journalist who, and food writer also, which yeah, is I'm writing, funny. I'm writing a book about food, Bacon as a Weapon of Mass Destruction. Bacon as a Weapon of Mass Destruction. For the Destruction. new press. But I write for Washington Post, Guardian. Natasha and I, uh, I, I guess we were the main reporters for Salon for Occupy, right? Which is... uh, during, that, during those days, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got two Occupy writers in the, in the house, which is great because um, Owen brought up 
occupy as kind of a counterexample. So let's see. Uh, lots of people have been responding to Owen's piece, people like D Doug Henwood, Freddie DeBoer, Amberly Frost, all of whom have kind of different, somewhat different objections. Some of them are that it's, 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 it's not a good idea in general. Most of them are that it's too early and requires more organizing. And, and what's interesting, by the way, is that lots of people are, are pointing this out. In fact, Carlton Banksy NPS, who's our Tyson82 on Twitter, wrote, liberals are calling for a general strike. Susan Sarandon was right. And of course, there, he's referring to the way that Susan Sarandon was criticized for saying that Trump would kind of accelerate the resistance and opposition. People, surely enough, uh, people from Jelani Cobb to David Simon, uh, the, the creator of The Wire, are calling for a general strike. Uh, David Simon tweeted, if you believe in America, show it by refusing to work on the Friday before President's Day, February 17th. Let him know. Hashtag national strike. One of the other tweets that shows up when you put in national strike is, we need a general strike, but to aim for late Feb is absurd. Give it, gives workers little chance to organize and prepare. We should aim for May Day. That wasn't a very good accent. It was a mix of posh and cockney. Perfect. Cockney. A bit Australian. <laughs> See, there you go. But it was from none other than Natasha Leonard. So, Natasha, can you start? Uh, let's. Do you, you want to jump in? Sure. Um, so, I think what Owen's saying in terms of work stoppage and the idea of a general strike and playing on the the history of that is, of course, crucial. Um, of course, it's absurd to call for it next Monday, and even and equally absurd to call for it in two days. Which doesn't mean we don't need building escalations and calls for work stoppages. Um, it puts us on a horrible back foot if we call for a general strike um, from the comfort of our um, opining online spaces when we haven't been organising with the kind of groups that can really get entire workforces to join with that. So call for work stoppages, call for constant direct action. I completely agree that the time is now. The kind of massive amounts of people we saw turn up um, at JFK and airports around the country in response to the executive order. The fact that we did see workers um, activate. We saw the, the taxi workers go on a one-hour strike. That was fantastic. Those kind of immediate responses need to continue and escalate whilst we build towards something that could in any way in name be even called a general strike. Um, otherwise, we risk repeating the same sort of folly that we we and I was part of in... Um, the latter days of Occupy in 2012, where we called for a general strike um, and there was a big day of protest that day. But given that it had been um, far too short amount of organizing um, and that we couldn't really get a serious work stoppage in a day, I feel like that was a major moment of deflating. Um, May Day, given that it is around the, the globe, um, a day of a worker solidarity, um, and it makes very much sense to point to strike, even for me, it's quite soon for the word general strike to, to be successful. Um, but by no means is, is there an opposition between constant immediate action now and taking some time to plan a general strike. I think the two sit very comfortably together. Um, and anyone who's talking about a general strike in a few days or even a few weeks is, um, I think, bastardizing the term. Hmm. Bastardizing the term, I like it. Okay. <laughs> Arun, do you want to... Oh, Owen, do you want to respond to that, or do you want to wait for Arun to chime in? I'll digest that and okay, wait for cool. Arun to chime in, yeah. By the way, Natasha, just to clarify, was in no way calling you a bastard. I just want no, to clarify. Unless you're born out of wedlock, and then so be it. <laughs> well, so, you know, we, we, we could do this a, a couple of different ways, right? You know, uh, I think you could uh, try and use uh, the Occupy model and, you know, maybe not say Radiohead is going to play, but uh, Beyonce is going to play. And, you know, do kind of like broad targeting, you know, to one crowd, say we're going to have like 10,000 kegs and cage dancers. And then, you know, uh, to kind of the Trump supporters say, you know, we're going to be handing out free hands 
handguns and uh, cartons of cigarettes. Mm. Um, you know, just just to try and get a mass of people. I'd like both. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. Both both approaches sound awesome. But... Or or you know, I, I so look what what Owen is essentially calling for is um, even though he doesn't name it is is an Arab Spring, right? The people mm. want to follow the regime. The idea that you have this stoppage that escalates and the the reason that Mubarak eventually stepped down. The, the, how uh, protest non-cooperation works is you raise the cost to the state uh, and and the ruling class, right? I love the fact we can now say ruling class, right? You know, that, that everyone pretty much agrees. I think the New York Times is going to start saying that pretty soon. Um, Thanks, Bernie and uh, Occupy. So that they decide that you what you are asking for, they they realize what you are asking for is actually the easier path, the path that's going to cause them uh, less pain, right? And and so, but the Arab Spring did not just happen. You know, there was massive organizing. There was a huge na- national anti uh, uh, police uh, organizing that went on. There was dense networks of of labor organizing, both in the uh, kind of small enterprises within Cairo and then through cities like uh, Alexandria um, then you yeah then you had certain sparks and and we're we're in this moment where sparks do happen but you take the taxi worker uh, uh, alliance that's who was behind that one hour strike and it's it's still somewhat symbolic but they've been organizing for over 20 years um, among uh, taxi workers and so they are very well known you you say the names of, of the folks involved like Baravi Desai Desai and all the taxi drivers know who she is and really respect her uh, greatly. And and so these things just do not happen. I mean, that's why I kind of joked about, well, you know, you could we could do like just have, say we're going to throw a giant party like the way, you know, the, for the first presidential election, uh, George Washington, you know, they would invite people to these bars and you see these bills of what they were serving. Oh, I know. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so no, funny. it's like, it's like, you know, it's like 12 barrels of whiskey, eight barrels of rum, you know, it's just like, they're basically come and get drunk and elect the father of our country right. right you know so that that can work you know maybe maybe we can get like a warren buffett to throw down for yeah. fifty thousand kegs and fifty thousand cage dancers yeah. and you know plus WB. the handguns and cigarettes yeah also if we have like wall dancers if we if we pitch it as wall dancers instead of cage <laughs> i bet you like and then we make the mexican oh, dancers yeah. we got a bunch uh, of trump people showing I'm up i'm there i'm there yeah yeah so it's and a room and uh, i'll be one of the wall dancers yes so, yeah. and i and i think these are the sort of things like those really like playful big mass gatherings like guns and strippers awesome whatever um i say this having done stripping myself that was not a degradation um with I, guns no oh. but i have shot a bird out the sky i am that english Whoa. um do you fox hunt or whatever that's pretty british right? no, i just i've pheasant hunted okay. sorry vegetarian friends um i would say that you know if there are big party days called to some sort of nefarious way of getting people involved. We don't need that anymore. People want to be involved. But in terms of calling big mass actions, we are in a position to do that, and that's great. Let's not call that a general strike that is able to, as Arun say, leverage the power of workers to make the government and the ruling powers so uncomfortable as to have to change their actions. I think big mass gatherings and uh, as they're calling them like emergency protests now, awesome, keep them going, use them as flashpoints to get people involved. Let's not pretend that's actually leveraging power yet. Okay, so you're saying why don't we have these things that are less ambitious but achieve their goals instead of calling something that isn't a general strike a general strike because then we will be deflated, we will look like failures. And I think it's rude to workers and the history of workers. I think it, I think that is my issue with it also. Well, I mean, my my I don't know if we all agree with Owen's um, sort of w- w- one aim, one demand point, and that that would be the only point of the general strike. Leveraging power from workers' resistance can have uh, multiple effects and demands. Um, yes, of course, I think a lot of people think just having the president step down is not the entire end. Uh, nor full goal of what we want the building social movements to achieve. I'm yeah. certainly not saying that it is. I'm 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 saying that it's the first step right. in in building a mass, a critical mass movement sure. of people who who seen this, who if who if the people were able to do this, it would be a massively empowering moment. 
and 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 would just become part of the way that politics are done in the United States. And I want I can, can I say a couple things in response? Of course. Cool. So um, I I feel like if if we want to call this something different, that's fine. I'm not sure in today's American labor movement, which has been just so decimated over the over, over my lifetime, basically, like since Reagan, I, I I don't even know what a general strike means anymore. And maybe, I mean, it, it's 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 fine if we want to call it something different. I obviously used it because it's a it's it's a very accessible term. Um. So I I don't I don't know if it's really bastardizing it or offensive to workers and the history of workers. I, I guess that's kind of an, a, a, a personal, a matter of personal opinion. Um, at, at this point, the, the labor movement in the U S is, is very weak and whatever, whatever traditional ways that we've had of, of organizing all labor together, I, I think are insufficient in this, in this current moment. I, I really do. I think I think we need to figure something different out a different way. I profoundly uh, agree. So asking people to um, mass cooperate and mass organize and giving them three days or two weeks is probably not the best way to um, understand new strategies and capacity build, is my feeling. No one's saying that we have a strong labor movement. And I would say that it's uh, decimation happened decades before Reagan. Uh, we could start talking about the Taft-Hartley Act. Um, and um, I would just say the idea that new thinking and new configurations of labor power are totally necessary. They're not going to um, manifest in three days or three weeks. But not, They're not going to manifest in three days or three weeks. That's definitely true. Um, and the history of American capitalism is, is definitely a lot more complex than, than me saying that, you know, Reagan killed the labor movement. Um, I, I I was oversimplifying, but that is a, I would say it's a still a significant juncture. Just a yeah. practical thing, also, uh, labor unions cannot engage in any sort of solidarity strikes, so they can't. I mean, you know, if if you had real class conscious labor leaders that were willing we to in, engage right. in illegal strikes with um, militant bases, then maybe you could start to broach the subject about doing something months away. But again, none of, so you, you wouldn't have any sort of labor buy in. But wouldn't I mean, isn't kind of the argument that this is so unprecedented and what we saw at JFK I'm just to lay out the argument, right? It's so unprecedented that we could get a bunch of workers who aren't militants and we could get whether or not the unions uh, endorse it. And in I theory, mean, we're talking wildcat, obviously, and that takes even longer to organize. Right. But I mean, just in terms of the punishing workers, right, in theory, if this were pulled off, which wouldn't be in the next couple of days, but if it were pulled off successfully, too many workers would be doing it. Did you say pulled off and then come? Say, say it sounded like you said prolled like off proletari and then pulled off, off. No, and I, I was like so. ooh that's I like funny. that prolled <laughs> off I like that Pro prolling something off is when you what when more working class people uh, are engaged than we thought would be <laughs> but in theory it would be the safety would be in numbers right so yep. too many workers would engage for, to be punished by their by the bosses um, I think that it's an interest an interesting question is is the goal and how important it is to stop Trump, which means that Pence is president. And, you know, part of me, of course, thinks that those are so insufficient. But part of me is scared enough of Trump. And actually, I used to think that Pence was worse than Trump. I think his politics are worse than Trump's. I think that the way they would govern Trump is worse because I think it's it's Donald Trump, Steve, Ban uh, Steve Bannon, and, uh, you know, an unpredictability, mercurial nature. And in fact, Ali Garib said this to me once we were talking. I hope I am allowed to say this, but a uh, friend of the show, I'll get his permission. I'm sure he'll love it. Um, he said that it's not better to have uh, Trump than Pence because both of them are the uh, Republican agenda, GOP extremist agenda, except with Trump, there's the nuclear war uh, possibility, which doesn't exist with with um, Pence. And I think it's true. I think behind closed doors, Trump is not uh, anti-choice. He's not for like stopping same-sex marriage or discriminating again. I mean, that's the least of it, discriminating against uh, LGBT people. Part of that's being in New York and being in real estate. Right. But I don't think that's the way he's governing. 
Um, so I guess I think, and, and Arun, you've said a lot of stuff about this. Like, I think a lot of our, our kind of political um, cohorts were a little bit, you found them a little bit uncomfortably dismissive of, of Trump's danger, right? The whole like Hillary equals Trump thing that I saw you writing about a lot. And I thought that was a really important voice. And especially as, you know, talking about the experience of someone who's not white um, was a really important thing to, to, to for people to see. So I'm wondering I'm if, not white. I mean, to me, you are. Okay, good. Because I don't see color. White. 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 The white. White. I have like a three Iranian friends right now who've just taken out of just pure rage just to be like, oh, the whites. <laughs> is that what accent? Is that a... No, they, it, it's a totally American. Oh, okay, American yeah. accented this, people. Right. But they just love... Right, white. white. Just so that WH. Right, right. It's just so... It feels so good. Doesn't it feel good to... Say H. Like white toast. Right. But don't, I think Midwesterners and so, white, like Tuesday, what, I think Southerners do that. Anyway, but um, right. does it, what I'm, does that resonate at all? I mean, do you see, I see a connection. I'm not sure if I articulated it, but between your kind of realism and the realism of, of a thing that actually gets rid of Trump and having that as a goal, which it doesn't have to stop there, but is that not a sufficient enough? Yeah. Could, could I give like a, uh... 30-second psychoanalysis here. Sure. So th th this is a trauma of liberalism. So uh, let's relate this to birtherism real quick. That uh, if, you, if you're someone who believes America is great, greatest country on earth, I've, I've been, uh, I was in Indiana a couple weeks ago interviewing all those factory workers whose jobs Trump's were supposed to save and are getting laid off. And uh, uh, half of them voted for Trump union workers. And every single one of them who's losing their job who voted for Trump still supports Trump. And they were saying, you know, America's greatest country on earth, blah, blah, blah. So along com comes a, a black guy and you have to question as president and, and that forces you to kind of question everything you know. It's easier to believe that uh, uh, he is this uh, Kenyan-born Muslim than for you to accept, wait, maybe my identity is, is wrong. Maybe America isn't the greatest country ever on earth. Liberals are doing the exact same thing now. Right. So they there there's this uh, secular class of affluent liberals, what I what I call the 10 percent. And that's kind of New Yorkers um, who are who are in the upper income echelon. And liberalism has worked out pretty damn good for them. You know, they 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 might be struggling a little financially, but they're doing well. They're secular tolerance, a diverse society. Uh, liberal has done very broadly for them. It's easier for them to imagine Trump is going to be stopped by the Electoral College. He's going to be impeached. Uh, 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 the um, the recounts are going to take him out. We keep seeing this on and on and on. This is actually so. Th this is a psychological phenomena, and we keep replacing it for one thing. This is now at least or the, the status quo will want to let him to be as right, off right, as right, he is, right, or right, right, right. This right. So we the keep seeing we keep be, seeing yeah. these various iterations rather than you know b being like, whoa, maybe there's something really uh, fucked up. I can say fucked up, mm -hmm. right? Fucked up yeah. with the liberal narrative, um, and and that this guy is not going to go anywhere. And what we need to do is really hard organizing. What we've seen is mobilizing, right? Um, what we also see is protests. What people talk about is electoral po politics. Those are all components on organizing. Organizing means you're part of a multi-issue organization where you're strategically reaching out to people who don't agree with you, and you are figuring out how you talk to them, how you listen to them, and win them over to your politics. That is the only way you end Trump and Trumpism, and he's going to be in the Therefore, eight or whatever years, as he put it. Okay, okay. it's not. There's no uh, Deus ex machina that's going to take him out out of power, um, like like a general strike. This is a trauma of liberalism. Hmm, interesting. So for you, it's not that's, even a possibility. Um, and the pa per the pressure point, the idea of, of pushing on pain. It's points. fantasy. It's fantasy. I, think, I think it's absolute fantasy, and I also think it doesn't. It is. Uh, it reminds me of the. Um, the Brechtian point that he made in 36, relevantly, which was, you know, people that want to oppose fascism but refuse to call themselves anti-capitalists are refusing to look at that which birthed the fascism. They're like the people that want to eat the meat and not, like, watch the butcher right. prepare it. Right. Um, so, of course, I believe if there was some way to push the stakes so high that the president stepped down, it wouldn't just be a question of Pence stepping in because we would have proven a point of leverage that was fierce and terrifying. Do I think that's fantasy? Absolutely. Do I think moving mobilization into forceful organization is fantasy at this point? Absolutely not. I think that's looking increasingly real and increasingly exciting as long as we do it. Interesting. I actually don't think it's, I, I would have 
if you had asked me before the election, I said, of course, it's fantasy. It's not going to happen. And maybe, I mean, I don't consider myself a liberal, so, but maybe I'm, I'm still poisoned by their, uh, what, is, what did you call it, trauma? The trauma. I think it's pathological. It's this idea, because you keep seeing it moves from institution to institution. First it was the Electoral College, then it was Call Your Senator, then it was right. What was um, the recount? Then it was the recount. Now it's the Amalgam's Clause. I never yeah. thought yeah. any of that stuff would work. The only thing I think potentially, I mean, I think that seeing people... Yes, we would have to win over Trump supporters, right? But I, I, I could see. I mean, we'd have to work a lot harder doing this, and there's a problem with the liberal echo chamber. But I don't know if, if um, I mean, again, I can't believe I'm saying this, but she did win the popular vote by a lot. Like, if we could get that number of people to do what though, like to ask their senators to no, be less no, shit, general like... strike, I'm, whatever this mm. the thing is that we're calling, whether to general strike, if if there was enough of a stoppage to mm. Um, oh, I agree. It would do. It it would it would at least at the very least leverage pressure, and then we all together could see what to do with it. And right. To have, you have to have people scared first. Right. And you have to have a general strike is not a woman's march. It takes right. risks. So I'm sure you can get and it hurts you know, people millions of people. The pocket, you know, hurts exactly. Finance. And it's um, so you know even if it were just for 48 hours, it's not the same as just taking the day off work and going on a march, it, totally. it is completely useless unless it's leveraged towards a threat. I mean, I, I, I do want to say that where I'm coming from, I, I, I agree with you about the, about the liberal mindset. I really do. But I do want to make sure that, that you understand that where I'm coming from with this is that I've been basically in a place of complete political desperation. Pretty, I mean, pretty much my whole life, really. But like, since the Obama administration came in for the exact reasons that you're talking about, because it was so impossible to mobilize people, so impossible to organize people. And that once Hillary Clinton lost, their reaction was so inevitable. It was, it was, it was all conspiracy. It was, you know, Russia did right, this. Right, right, right. Nothing wrong with the message. Every, like all, and I just basically sat, you know, in, in my house, just waiting for you know them to do absolutely nothing for two months while they just spun around calling calling Trump's election itself treason because somehow WikiLeaks and Bernie mm, Sanders had right. worked with the Russian government to elect Hillary Clinton. I mean, like it makes no sense. But this level of conspiracy theory was was the only thing that that liberalism had, and I felt completely completely shut down. But then, like seen 1.5% of the population in the United States come out the day after he got inaugurated in the streets, and then much more than that, watching the JFK protests and watching within less than 18 hours protests spread across 30 different cities. Like, I, I feel a lot differently now, and I don't, I, I don't think that... I don't think that we're in the kind of, like, typical moment where you can apply the same kind of the same kind of i guess i can't really think of the right word Paradigm? but i guess like the same kind of reality that we were dealing with like even 3 weeks ago we are in completely uncharted territory here you know i mean like in in 8 days this guy has majority disapproval and i understood like i understand all the counter arguments to everything that i'm saying but but the point that I'm trying to make is that this is just such a completely unprecedented moment that if while while you and Natasha may be right that these things are unrealistic and impossible, I think I, I don't agree with just dismissing them out of hand because they've never worked because we're just we're just in a, it, we're in a completely different reality right now. No one's dismissing anything out of hand. We're just trying to be dis strategic and also I'm an anarchist I'm quite used to taking the side of let's just you know mm. balls to the wall ovaries to the wall let's go um I'm just saying it sounds like you're speaking in a way that sounds to me and I, I hope this doesn't sound rude like you haven't spoken to enough people and their readiness and their ability to keep acting after just going to a protest and you know I, I support the black bloc I support quite extreme spontaneous action um, black bloc being a tactic. I'm just saying it would be fabulous if we had a massive, serious work stoppage on a Monday, sure. Um, 
but that takes work and it's time to work because this is unprecedented. Um, it has its roots in problems that are not brand new, but it, as a configuration, it's unprecedented. So let's mean it and not be flippant. Yes, definitely. And I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who was working with his hands and in the service industry for 18 years before I ever had a job in journalism. So not only have I spoken with those people, I've been one of those people and I've lived with those people. And, and it, it may not be out in the open, but the desire for change within the American working class is real. It just needs to be accessed. Right, and, and that takes work. But I, I do think that what's unique about this moment is this alliance between elites and non-elites. Now, we don't have the entire working class, but I do think this is something that we didn't see before, which is basically like all the Clintonites and all the Bernieites. I, I, I actually don't think we have that much of the working class in, in terms of who are, are we talking about. I, I've, I've kind of, I don't know, maybe because I travel around the country so much and actually interview workers. No, no, but whenever I get back to New York, right, you know, right, right. I, I live here. I get, I get annoyed. No, but I said not enough of the working class. But I, okay, let's just say non elites. And not, I don't mean like the salt of the earth, but I think just let's let's say like the salt the, and pepper, the Bernie people and the Hillary people are now actually I mean, how much of the population is that? Well, look, I mean, you, you still... it, it, these moments create a certain sense of false unity. And, and, and let's let's do like, again, a, a, a quick like uh, tour through the way back machine, uh, global justice movement, 99 to 2000 uh, to 2001, uh, Iraq anti-war movement, uh, 15 to 30 million people on the street. Uh, the but at least didn't feel threatened general... by the Iraq war. I, uh, I don't think you, you... I don't think they did in the way I think elites are feeling threatened in a way we haven't seen before. Sure. I'm not sure that whether or not they are. I think true. there's an anxiety well, from the elites that we haven't well, seen before. Which which, which elites right. though, right? I mean, you you have like okay. For, first of all, uh, uh, Wall Street. There's there's like been the, the Trump rally. Yeah. You know, only in the last two days has it started uh, to go down. Um, you know, the Silicon Valley. Has so one of the interesting things is we we do see like uh, this this kind of divisions in the ruling class that uh, Trump does represent more kind of domestic capital right energy and in, in, interests uh, construction uh, uh, capital um, defense uh, contractors uh, Hillary Clinton uh, represented uh, creative capital you know progressive neoliberalism sure. you know so like Hollywood Silicon Valley right. uh, finance uh, that's where we are kind of seeing a split but none none of them have really come out strongly against Trump. You're only starting to see Silicon Valley come out because he's he's threatening uh, essentially their their model, you know, um, and now they're starting to come out a, a bit against them. So but you don't really have elites in, in that sense who are speaking out. You have prominent uh, Democratic Party officials and media figures who I think are culturally, you know, opposed to Donald Trump and are and, you know, maybe somewhat politically and, and socially as well, but they're also uh, but what using about the this Silicon to, Valley to people an, who stayed out of it mostly. Well, I'm very curious about their unity and solidarity if we did actually do it. Uh, did every manage to get workers to go on some sort right. of mass work I mean, stoppage or general strike? And I'm not being Are they going to be so right? Is, is Google, Facebook, want. Microsoft, Amazon going to furlough all their workers and say, yeah, take off. Go, go, uh, go smash windows for the day. Well, OK, this brings us to our next discussion. Um, Owen, do you want to talk with us about black box strategies and tactics? And to hear that fascinating debate between Arun Gupta and Natasha Leonard, you will have to become Patreon supporters at the five dollar a month level or more, of course. Five dollars a month. It's so nothing. It's like a dollar and change each week. Anyway, also, here's a major update that we have for you. Owen Higgins, after doing our show, wrote another post. When I saw he'd written another piece, I asked him if he wanted to update us. He unfortunately can't because he's at work. And he actually, I'm not just making this up, he did say, please share that it was a productive conversation and helped lead to the new piece, which is pretty cool. He said, thank you for hosting and facilitating. Dialogue between allies, even when it becomes contentious, is important. I would definitely agree. Because Owen can't do this, I'm going to be reading his update, which was published on owenhiggins.com. Its title is The Warning Shot and the Mayday Strike. 
we could offer this to you as bonus content and try to get more Patreon members, but we think it's so important, we're just going to plop it right in here. Okay, and this is what Higgins writes. After hearing about it and hearing about it and hearing about it, okay, I get it. A general strike is not going to happen on February 6th. The amount of attention I've received for my piece calling for it is the reason I feel a responsibility to say that. But it does appear that there are some plans in place to organize a mass strike for May 1 and a precursor action on February 17th. The action on February 17th will be a general work stoppage for those who can afford to take part in it. May 1's action will be a strike. Again, this is all in the planning stages. Hopefully this will culminate in an, quote, American Spring, end quote, event, the kind that many people still think is a fantasy. I'm not so sure. If Trump follows up last weekend's Muslim ban, which is still in effect, by signing this executive order severely restricting LGBTQ rights, anything's on the table. And as shown in the picture above, people are not going to stand for this regime and its allies spreading their hate and white supremacy throughout the mainstream. While I still hope for a spontaneous strike out of frustration and rage with the president, I'm no longer arguing for it. And to avoid confusion and division, everyone should join together and work together for a common goal with a singular and narrowly focused goal of forcing the president to step down as the first priority of a greater movement going forward. Finally, an important point, especially for people who have been contacting me about this. While I have organized and been part of actions before, I I'm not now an organizer, nor am I trying to take on the mantle of a movement leader. Contact your local socialist party, racial justice organization, immigrant rights group, etc. for details on this and any other decisions. And contact them in general. They'll be glad to hear from you. See you in the streets. You're definitely going to want to join our Patreon so you can hear the bonus content we're offering from this week, which is another debate between Natasha and Arun about Nazi punching, black bloc tactics, and the role of violence in the protest movement. So for that, go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And if it's the second Wednesday of the month, it's the Katie Helper Show live taping. So come out February 8th at 7 p.m. to the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic Avenue. Again, that's 388 Atlantic Avenue. Our guest will be Nalini Stamp, an organizer with Resist Trump Tuesdays and the national membership director of the Working Families Party, and writer and journalist Sarah Jaffe, whose debut book is Necessary Trouble, Americans in Revolt. And as usual, it will be followed by karaoke. Please rate and review us on iTunes. See you on February 8th.